0: You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. I'll tell you what, today's guest is going to make you want to go out and eat some great food. That's because it is none other than celebrity chef Kenny Gilbert. At the age 18, Kenny started working for Ritz-Carlton shortly after he was running their fine dining department. But he didn't stop there. He went on to go beat Bobby Flay. That's right, he beat Bobby Flay. He didn't just go on the show, beat Bobby Flay. He actually beat him. And he was also featured on Food Network Stars Season 7 and on Cutthroat Kitchen and many other Food Network TV shows and series. Really cool, very accomplished. But I think probably one of the coolest things that he's doing and has done is he's Oprah's private chef. That is so cool. He's cooked for Oprah. I think that's one of the coolest things ever. Oprah, by the way, if you're listening, I would love to have you as a guest and have the opportunity to interview you. Side note there, but let's go back to Chef Kenny now. Very accomplished. And I love this episode because he gives practical advice for life and for business success. He's seen a lot of success throughout the years, but he's also lived a very fulfilled life. And I love seeing people that have that great balance and are able to do more than just maybe build their brand or create their brand all the time. They're also able to live a life that they enjoy and have just had a good time with. And Chef Kenny is definitely somebody that I feel that I can learn a lot from. And I believe it's going to be the same for you. I'm also excited about this episode though, because Amy West is back again. She is going to be conducting this interview with Chef Kenny, and I'm very excited to hear their conversation. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for joining us here on Creating a Brand, Chef Kenny. And we have known each other for a few years now, and I've been a big fan. I think not just because I knew you were on TV because I feel like that was just like a side thing, but just because I really admire your approach to business, your branding, you're very warm. You just are authentically you and you seem to really
2: care. Oh, and, well, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I admire that. Just as a brief introduction... You are known as the beast in the kitchen. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: And I love that. That's, I mean, if you're gonna have a label, that's a pretty cool one to have. Yeah. You are known for your appearances on Top Chef. There's so many. You've been on so many things. Can you give us like a brief rundown of all the appearances that you've had?
2: Oh my gosh. Top Chef season seven that was taped in D.C., I was on beat Bobby Flay.
1: You beat him twice, is that right?
2: No, I beat him once. Okay,
1: but you were on uh, twice.
2: Uh, well no. So what happens is when you're on the show, you have to cook against somebody else okay. in order to go against him. Got it. So I won my first so round. So you had two
1: winning dishes. Yeah, two winning dishes. Beat that, Bobby Flay. That's, that's right. where I got
2: the two from. Yep. And then I also did Cutthroat Kitchen, which I won. That was just like torture. It's like a, the show of being a culinary MacGyver. Oh my God! So you have to know all core basics of food, but then you're put in these crazy conditions and you have to try to figure your way out, um, all based on these bidding wars to see if you can get the sabotage to give to that other chef that you're threatened by.
1: So it's like survivor, but for chefs. Yeah, it's
2: it's wild. But more. Yeah.
1: So no pressure then, right?
2: <laughs> that particular show was crazy because um, after coming off a of Top Chef, everything is so secretive when you start off. You have these hard TV timeouts where you're not allowed to talk, you're sequestered in different areas, and so imagine sitting in a room for like two hours and then you're not allowed to say anything to anybody, and you just are staring at them and not having to being able to have dialogue or talk about food or,
1: or or
2: anything. But then on Cutthroat Kitchen, we're in a holding area and we're just chopping it up. And then you have your cell phone or your laptop. And next thing you know, people are like, That's that's Chef Kenny. And they're Googling. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, they're going to be gunning for me. So that was pretty wild.
1: It's a mental battle as well as just knowing your stuff industry-wise. My husband's a cyclist, and he goes through the same thing. It's like you can train, you can know your stuff, but you also, it's so much in your mind. Oh, yeah. That's pretty tricky. So those are some of the highlights of the appearances where people have seen you and you've gone from already talented chef to now celebrity chef. Mm Mm-hmm in like a five minute or less recap, what was that journey like going from I'm passionate about food, I know this is my path to Mm -hmm. really climbing to the top echelon of what America knows as our celebrity chefs?
2: Well, it's interesting because I start off very young uh, in the business, you know, I have a degree in culinary arts and I started with the Ritz Carlton Company. I was 18 and a half years old and worked my way up to become the fine dining chef running their five-diamond, four-star restaurant. So, for the next six, seven years, you know, I was running a five-diamond, four-star restaurant. I'm going from age of 23 up to 29 and doing James Beer dinners, traveling around the country, staging in different parts of the world. You know, I was in Japan and Spain and France and all over just eating and training. And just honing my craft and then fast forward to the opportunity to get on top chef i was 34. wow 34 35 something like that and i was already established Mm -hmm. i already had the accreditations on my resume and that's how i got on the show so now it was the opportunity for the world millions and millions of people to all of a sudden see me it was interesting because i immediately thought when i made it on the show i didn't even want to do the show first of all no way yeah no michael vitaggio who won season six called me up i had left him a message we were talking about a job opportunity for him out in california and i was like man why is mike not calling me back like it's been weeks and he finally returned my call he's like oh man i'm sorry i just got my phone back i was taping the show called top chef and by the way, I recommended you to go on the show so our producers is going to call you. And I was,
1: oh, yes. And
2: so I was like, there's no way I'm going to go and do this. And then after talking to the producer, they're like, oh, we like your voice. You know, we think that your resume speaks for itself. You have a great look, you know, all these kind of things. I started to realize that I was a character. You know, oh, yeah. I was a pawn amongst 15 other pawns and who's going to come out on top to be the king or queen. And when I realized I was going on the show, I was like, okay, what do I want to be? What do I want the world to see me as? And I immediately thought about that. And I don't know what made me think about it other than the fact that I said, I need to take advantage of being in the spotlight because whether I win or lose, I need to make an impact. And what do I want to showcase? Who am I, culinarily? How is my food going to be represented in a way that is going to help me move forward? So I start thinking about endorsements. Mm-hmm. I thought about like, what do I have other than my skill set or my voice or my look? to be able to take me to the next level. So I thought about my spices. I thought about my sauces. I thought about my culinary diversity. And all those things started to come together. And I strategically did dishes without knowing what I was cooking. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was cooking. (laughs) But I knew that I was going to do certain dishes, or every dish is going to have some kind of link of some kind of spices interjected into it because I was thinking that at some point I'm going to brand my spices. I'm going to put them out there and I'm going to sell them. And I want my resume to be top chef. I want when a chef yes. says, Oh my God, this is the best thing I ever had and the blend of these spices with this fish or whatever. I could talk about my cinnamon coffee rub on Ruby red trout that Eric prepared, absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And it says the fish was cooked perfectly. It was seasoned perfectly. Who else would you want to talk about your seafood other than Eric (laughs) Repair? The
1: ultimate endorsement. Yeah.
2: you know I won a challenge with Patrick O'Connell from the Little Inn of Washington. I did an eggplant curry dish, and Padma loved it, and he loved it. And it was tied into the weather and the flavors and simplicity, but yet the depth of it came together. Again, spices as a part of it. So I immediately knew before going on that I wanted to work on who I was going to be, and I want to showcase every area of my strength as a culinarian.
1: Wow, that's so clever and really rare, I think. I don't think a lot of people would have the foresight and intuition to know that they needed to springboard off of that opportunity. I think that's one thing to think, oh, I'm going to get a lot of followers and people are going to notice me, but you already knew how to like program that to aid you in your future. So hats off to you. That's really brilliant. And the whole theme of this interview is I really wanted to talk about point of view and how important it is to have one. They talk about it on Food Channel all the time. About having your point of view, and I think I've learned so much from watching. Is it Food Star? I think I don't know if the you've ne- seen the that next one Food before. Star, yeah. yeah, and they talk on there all the time about POV. And for myself, as a personality and an influencer, I learned so much from that. I, I would tell all my friends who are else go and watch that show because mm. they talk so much about that. And it sounds like you found your POV really early on. Like, did you think, okay, I'm going to title myself the Beast in the Kitchen? Did someone else give that to you? Where did that come from?
2: The first episode, it ended up being a skills challenge. It was like a relay skills challenge. So you had three things you had to do. You had to peel potatoes the fastest. And then whoever was done the fastest had to raise their hand and say, check. And I won that first round. Everyone was like cutting themselves, stabbing themselves in the hand with a paring knife. It was crazy. And then the next round came around and you had to dice onions. I think dice 10 cups of onions. And once you were done... had to say check and then they only took so many people from round to round i swept all three rounds the third round was breaking down chickens i had to break down i think three or four chickens which it was like breathing it was Mm -hmm. like not a big deal and i think that like once we were done with that round and those challenges and we were able to talk to each other everyone in the house was like man you were just beast and all that and And my chef friends and employees and things like that, they were like, Kenny's just a beast. There's nothing he can't do. He's fast, he's organized, he's intense, he's focused. And my logo for my spice line initially was this Rottweiler chef. Okay. And I had this tag beast in the kitchen because I was the type of person that I could walk into a room and I knew that I had a presence. Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to be looked at. I knew people were going to be intimidated for whatever reason. And it was a mutual respect thing. As long as you keep the lines of communication and the respect there, well, you can come and pet me. We can chill, whatever. <laughs> but if you try me, then I'm going to get amped up. I kept that kind of that bounce and that peace.
1: I love it. I do martial arts as a hobby. I'm not a pro by any means, but I'm a big fan of watching fights. And Mm. it is really interesting to see that how you can use that intimidation process to aid in your battlefield. But that is really interesting that it just was a natural fit. Do you have any advice for people who maybe are trying to search for their point of view? Like, if it doesn't immediately come top of mind, like, how do they find that? How do they find their angle, for lack of a better word?
2: You know, that's a great question because I think you have to have patience. I think that there's people out there now that immediately see the impact of being an influencer and how certain things, like how they can make money very quick. Everything is quick, 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 quick. Yeah. I was in the game for 15, 16 years already before I even thought about going on TV. I was running... Five Diamond and Four Star restaurants and boutique hotels and training lots of people and developing people. I was honing my craft and my skill as a chef without thinking about what the impact could be in terms of making money on TV or anything like that. That wasn't it at all. It was all about food. Mm -hmm. It was all about putting my heart and soul into the food, the training and development of my team so that we can grow and become amazing together. So we can keep people coming into the restaurant that's ultimately gonna help us keep our jobs. Yeah, that, that was the focus. So everyone has a different idea, a different passion that they have. I think the most important thing is work as much as you possibly can on honing your craft. And making sure that, that was always first. Yeah. So whatever your passion is, make that first and then everything else will follow suit. Yeah. Because you can't be a great influencer or have a brand if you're not good at what you're doing. When people see me and look at me as a lot of people know me as, oh, Chef Kenny because he was on Top Chef. But a lot of people that are in the food business know me because of what I had done already as a young culinarian. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was the youngest African-American chef in the country running a five-diamond, four-star restaurant. I was 23 years old. They gave me carte blanche to do whatever I needed to do at the Ritz-Carlton in Indian Island to brand that restaurant as being the best.
1: Still known as the best, Still known as the best, yeah. I was just up there last weekend.
2: Okay. Yeah, (laughs) I was. So to me, that was the people that believed in me that was the biggest thing for me is that I didn't want to let them down. Even now, running my restaurants is as hard as it is. People have no idea like, running your own business, the trials and tribulations. If you have a good week, you have a bad week. If you have uh, someone gets injured or you injure yourself or a uh, cooler breaks down or whatever, they might see that I did a post. and like, oh, that was great, whatever. And meanwhile, in the back of my head, I could be stressing because this cooler went down. What am I going to do with this food? I have to go now spend money on a refrigerated truck that I didn't really have because we were slow the last three days and, Something happened prior to that that I had to spend money on. Yeah. It's your own dime. And it's not
1: all fame and glory here. You're talking Mm -mm. about just being in the trenches and just working through it. Right. And all of your experience and having excelled in your field prior to that went into building that. I have, a, I think, a a really important question in these days of social media and Mm. branding and the way that millennials receive information and make purchasing choices. And I've seen it happen more and more in my coverage of food and destinations is that It's not enough just to have a really great product. You also have to have a really interesting story. And the people behind the product have to have a really interesting story. You could have the most romantic story about your restaurant, Mm. but people want to know about you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's something certainly that works as an asset for you as a chef. You've got an incredible story between your history with where you excelled in your field and then your stories of working on TV and with all these celebrities. But what do you say to the person that has a super great product, but maybe just doesn't feel like they have a story?
2: I think everyone has a story. I think it's just a matter of identifying to it because everyone has a journey, everyone has a path. Mm. And as you dig deeper into my story, it may relate to you in some manner. I'd never look at anybody and say, oh, well you're just cooking some good food and that's it. It's like, who is the person, like, how did you grow up You know, Mm -hmm. what trials and tribulations did you go through? What made you cook your first dish? Was it the fact that your parents, your mother or father wasn't in the picture? You had to fend for yourself you were athletic. So you played sports, you had to have a job and you had to like feed yourself to build your body up. So you had enough nourishment and all those things you need in order to be able to execute on the field or whatever. It just so happens that because of all those trials that you found relief in cooking. So that's your story, you know, as an example, I mean, I think everyone just has to dig deep. Now there's some people are out there that maybe they grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth and maybe they had a passion because maybe they were hanging out with a nanny all day because the parents were out working or mom was out playing tennis and you're by yourself and no one was really connecting with you, but you connected with a nanny that taught you everything. Mm-hmm. And that was truly like your mother. And this is the person that really took care of you and nurtured you. And maybe she fell ill and she passed away and then you wanted to live on through her eyes and take care of yourself by the love that she shared with you. Wow. There's a story. Yeah. You know what I mean? So everyone has something like that. There's nobody out there who's just like, Oh, everything was just peaches and cream. I mean, I, I love it when I, I look at some of the, the, gold coast stories and you hear like Denzel Washington, and he tells us he has a great story, but he says, you know, you fall down seven times, get up eight, never give up. Never be afraid to fail. Yeah. As you fail, you learn. I think everyone has a story. I think that, again, you have to be patient. I think patience is a virtue. You can't
1: force it.
2: No. It'll you find
1: can't. you, and it finds you in those quiet moments. I can't tell you how many times I'm just taking a walk, or you get a massage, or I'm on my spin bike, and like it'll come to you. Mm-hmm. It's a really about listening to yourself and your intuition and honing in and understanding what makes you special and accepting that.
2: That's
0: right.
1: Here's another question in this day of self-promotion and mm-hmm. shameless, shameless self-promotion. And I've had to learn to accept that. I had somebody ask me the other day who's starting to get more familiar with today's modes of marketing. And they're mm. like, I really don't like posting pictures of myself. Don't you ever get tired of it? <laughs> and I was like, well, today, I mean... T- yes and no. I'm like, I'm kind of used to it. Or do you ever feel weird about it? Do you feel weird that you're sharing a picture of yourself and telling people like, come in, love it. It's just a different culture. And I was like, not really. I'm so used to it now. What would you say to that person that's like, I can't, I'm not going to share well, pictures of myself because you've had to do that as part of your brand.
2: Yeah, you do. It's funny you say that because I was talking to some people on my team and one of the things they said was, Kenny, you need to self-promote more. I was like, what do you mean? I promote all the time. They said, no, you promote the restaurants. You promote your food. But people need to see more of you. And I've been very strategic. It is about me and my brand. And I've been very conscious about, well, what do I want to promote? Do I want people just looking at me on social media? If they see me on there, I want them to see the real me. Like, what am I doing? Is there a candid shot that someone got of me? Picking up a seventy-pound alligator, putting it on a just smoker. Just a
1: candid, you know, yeah. just and they're, ca- and they're
2: catching my expression because it's hot and it's smoky and whatever. Or is there a picture posted when I'm holding my grandson mm. or my granddaughter? Or we're just I'm running around chasing my grandson in the house and he has a little play something that he's like throwing around and we're having a good time and there's a picture caught. I mean, I want people to see me at my rawness as a chef as a father as a husband as a friend so when i post those pictures it's like i'm gonna post probably 20 pictures of food and restaurant related type stuff and activities to every two of me and i don't do it on purpose it just happens that way at some point i know that even if i'm doing a story I'll post all these pictures of food. Like, oh, man, I look so good. I, and I'm posting because I'm like, <laughs> I'm super excited about it. I'm like, I want everyone to be pumped about it, too. And then I want it to show me and show that view of me doing something, plating it, and say, wow, I can feel his passion as he was creating that dish. Yeah. But I'm probably the opposite. I mean, you're a model. You started modeling, all <laughs> kinds of things. I mean, of course, and you're modeling items. So it's going to be shown very well on you. So you have to show yourself. You're not <laughs> just going to take a picture of a necklace over here. Right. You have to take the picture with the right sun, your hair in the right position, the right clothes to compliment that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, it's a little bit different.
1: I do think it's important to say that there is a specific strategy to all of mm-hmm. that. And this may be a different conversation, but then you get into analytics and the science of what's working behind social media, Instagram specifically, it's a world Mm -hmm. I'm in a lot. I mean, do the pictures of you perform better than the pictures of the food? They probably do.
2: (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that, because I remember when you guys came to the restaurant, you had all the influencers there out of Jack's Beach. As you were all talking and all the different influencers were giving their stories and everything, I was like, wow, this is really deep. And I didn't really think about it. Even when we talked prior to you coming, I was like, what is this influencer thing? I don't even know what this is about. I was like,
1: hello, you are one. I
2: know, right? (laughs) And I was like, what are you talking about? And then, so now I go back and I look at all the details and I'll see what the insights are and all the analytics and who's my demographic. You just made me think about it. I was analyzing... Who was following me? Who was looking at me? Who was checking me out? And I looked at my reviews and everything on IG from Underground Kitchen, who was my demographic versus social, and then Mm -hmm. prior when I was out of the beach. And across the board, I was 51% women were looking at me. Okay. And over 49% guys. Okay. And then depending on the restaurant, depending on... Like, Jacksonville was my main demographic. Even in Amelia Island, even Jacksonville Beach. Yeah, Of course, Jacksonville. And then, like, Amelia Island, I had a lot of Atlanta, New York. Nice. And then Jacksonville was, like, Carolinas, Charleston, North Carolina, Tennessee. And then Jacksonville Beach was a little bit of everything. So I was like, this is weird. I was like, you know, but then... I realized, I was like, man, but there's a lot of women Mm -hmm. that are paying attention. Yeah, which are
1: your buying force, and I won't say there's more women foodies than men. I don't know what the analytics are on that, but there's a lot more women, I think, on Instagram, and they're specifically looking for destinations and mm -hmm. places to go, and they probably are the main viewers that are watching as well.
2: Once I saw those statistics, I didn't necessarily do anything any different. But I, I'm a lot more conscious about it. Sure. I mean, I probably need to sit in on some more influencer things to see what I'm doing well versus what I'm not doing well. I mean, I feel I do pretty good, but, like, the things that I post, is so random. Like I said, oh, I just posted this one thing, and I was like, it's not really the greatest picture, whatever. And all of a sudden, it's, like, just spiked, and, like, everyone's, like, talking about it. I'm like...
1: What did I do? It did nothing. <laughs> it was
2: literally, it was like a humble biscuit with like some butter smeared on it. And all of a sudden it's like, and, uh,
1: and there's so much that goes into it too. It could be a hashtag. It could be the time of day you posted it. Who even knows? It gets confusing sometimes.
0: The number of people creating brands is increasing more rapidly than ever before. Whether it's a personal brand, product or service, more entrepreneurs are getting started today than any other time in history. Although these are exciting times, there is a problem. The problem is that most people don't know where to begin. And as a result, they end up wasting a lot of time and money on products and services that they just don't need. Wouldn't it be great to have a guide to help you save time and money instead of wasting it? Well, there is a solution for you. It's called the Creating a Brand Community. The Creating a Brand Community is your digital mastermind or tribe. It's a network full of entrepreneurs devoted to helping each other succeed. We all help each other by sharing our experiences, recommendations, and discoveries along the way. As we like to say it, our goal is community collaboration focused on helping your brand succeed. The Creating a Brand community operates on our own social media platform. That's right, it's not another Facebook group. Our desktop site and mobile app feature online courses, focus groups, and topical discussion, along with live digital events and in-person events and exclusive content, all focused around the development and success of your brand. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, please join at creatingabrand.com. It takes less than three minutes to get set up and become part of this community of successful entrepreneurs. When you join, please message me within the community, Alex Sanfilippo. I'd love to have a conversation with you and welcome you to our community.
1: To pivot slightly from the social media and the shameless marketing of ourselves, which Mm. you've had to embrace along the way, I want to learn Maybe a couple nuggets of wisdom that you've learned from some of the heavy hitters you've been able to brush shoulders with, people that you've worked with on Top Chef, Bobby Flay, and Miss Winfrey herself, which I think is personally amazing. And I want to say adorable because I don't want to make you sound too cutesy, but like <laughs> he, he calls her Miss Winfrey, and I'm like, you mean the Oprah, the um, Oprah? Have you been able to? pick up any branding wisdom from all of these experiences?
2: Well, there's a funny story about Ms. Winfrey. The first year that I went out to cook for her, I was, it was like 2014, and I cooked the beginning of that year. I was leading into We did a special event for a birthday party at her home, and then I was asked to come out to cook for the holidays. And just what so happened in this particular year, the holidays were in Maui, both of them, for you know Thanksgiving and Christmas through New Year's, and so I went out there for Thanksgiving, cooked for like ten days or something like that. Then we immediately flew to Santa Barbara and we did the Selma premiere, which was at her house for wow. like four hundred people, and she had all the Freedom Riders. It was amazing. All the actors, actresses from the movie, Ava was there. I mean, it was just it was spectacular. And then wow. and then I went out, flew out again a couple of weeks later, and was back out in Maui. And then I cooked all through the holidays, through the New Year. I remember her staying in after trying my fried chicken and a bunch of other stuff that I did for like the New Year's Day feast. She turned around. And she's like, you did all this, didn't you? I said, yes, ma'am. And she's like, this has to be one of the best Southern meals I've ever had in my 60 years on this earth. Whoa. And I was like, I was very, very humbled by that. And then the compensation that I had made by doing all these trips, I paid. Bunch of stuff off, and then me and my wife decided we we're going to open up this restaurant called Gilbert's Underground Kitchen. Shortly after we opened the restaurant, I think it was about six months later, then I was asked to go out to do another event. And then I walked into the house, and Ms. Winfrey was standing there. She's like, Oh my God, Kenny. She gave me, gave me the biggest hug. Wow. And then she said, Oh my God, how have you been? I, I heard you open a restaurant. Like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, they said that you needed me, um, so I came. <laughs>
1: I dropped everything. Yeah,
2: and, I, and I'm here. And she was, like, oh my God! And she probably thanked me, probably at least ten times wow. over the course of the time that I was there. For it. she said, and one of the things she said was, "I know how hard it is to run a business. I know how hard it is to leave your business to do other things. And I just want you to know that I appreciate every second that you're here. And I was so touched by that." And people ask me all the time how it is to cook for Ms. Winfrey. I said it's like cooking for your great auntie that's amazing, that loves food, that's respectful. I see her at her humblest point. She's in her home, you know. Sure. So we.
1: She's not Photoshopped. She's no, not. The wind's yeah. not blowing in her hair. She's no, probably just out of bed in a robe. Out of, like, out
2: of being bed. Casual. Yeah, got her reading yeah.
1: glasses on.
2: Hair up, glasses, book <laughs> in hand, getting some tea and then having some breakfast and then going to do her thing. So during that first trip, so that was 2015, because that's when I opened up Underground Kitchen. Um, so I want to say I was out there probably say, July. It's probably for July 4th or something like that. She asked me, she said, So, what's the name of your restaurant? And this is how I'm leading up to the branding thing. She said, yeah. What's the name of your restaurant? I said, Well, it's called Gilbert's Underground Kitchen. And she looked at me and she was like, Why did you call it that? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Who's Gilbert? I was uh-huh. like, Because she just calls me Kenny. Uh-huh. I said, Well, Ms. Winfrey, my name is, you know, my last name <laughs> is Gilbert. I said, We don't all have the one name <laughs> you know, that everyone knows us by. And she started laughing. And she's like, I don't think I like that name, but I'm going to get back to you. Give me a few minutes. So then she left and then she came back and she's like, I'm still pondering this name of this restaurant. And then she finally, so I was prepping something. She's like, she came to the counter and she kind of leaned over like she does. And she has her chin in her hands. And she's like, so I was thinking about this name. I think it's a terrible name for a restaurant. And she's like, I'm going to tell you why. She was like, when I see you, when I, you walk into the house, I see you as Kenny. I'm like, hey, there's Kenny. Like, I'm thinking that if I'm going out with my girlfriends, hey, we're going to Kenny's place. We're going to go see Kenny. Kenny's Bistro. Kenny's this or that. When I hear Gilbert, I'm thinking that it's very formal and whatnot. And I said, well, Miss Winfrey, I've already opened the restaurant. <laughs> so I already called Gilbert's Underground the kitchen. And she said, well, that doesn't mean you can't change it. And I said, well, you might be right. And she said, oh, I know I'm right. I was like, man, do I need to go back and change the name oh, of the well, restaurant? Oh, yeah.
1: Nothing can make you doubt yourself more than Oprah herself. To, so you yeah. made a bad choice.
2: So what I've done is I knew that I want. So the next time I was out there, I went through the holidays, and then I opened a second restaurant. And then she saw me again. She's like, oh, my God. So I hear you have two restaurants now. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what's the name of this one? I said, it's called Gilbert Social. <laughs> And I said, I've been tagging. I said, I want people when they hear Gilbert's that they know about the brand. They understand who I am as a restaurateur, as a chef from our service, from our amenities in the restrooms, our style, our music, the uniform to the staff, the smokers outside of the restaurant, all these things. I want them to know that. Gilberts is the brand. We're the modern and traditional Southern restaurant with hints of barbecue, and then the tagline of the name adds to it: mm-hmm. social, as in social dining or communal dining. You walk in, I could see eight top like a communal table. I could see could be two people sitting there having dinner. I could see a six top right there. Next time it's an eight top as far as eight people there, right? But next, you know, the conversation and dialogue that's happening is. It's community. It's bringing people together. family. Yeah. And then Underground Kitchen stands for pop-up the supper club. So I initially was doing these different theme pop-ups for the week. And I wanted it to be totally different than what we were doing. So in case, you know, you and your husband and the kids come in and you're like, and your husband's like, I'm totally old school barbecue. And you're like, oh my God, he's featuring Korean. Honey, you remember when we were in Korea and I had that, da, da, da? I'm totally going to get that because I want to wow. see his spin on it. So. I know that I wanted to create the image and the brand of Gilbert's to mean something. So when you come in and have the Gilbert's experience that not you know from the time you walk in to the time you leave, whether you went to the restroom, whether you were listening to the music in the background, the drinks, everything tied into that concept and that brand. And by opening up the second concept, I wanted it to translate to the next facility so that you see those same little touches even though it's a different color scheme and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, um, so. I think you did that so effortlessly. It's really interesting to hear you talk about it because that was going into my next question. Was it effortless? I mean, how much did you have to go back to the drawing board and say, no, I, I want it like this? It, it seems like you really carefully curated the entire experience.
2: Well, I wish I could say that I had a ton of money to make it happen in that regard. But I don't, and I didn't. <laughs> we opened up Underground Kitchen with a very small budget. We wanted to focus on the food. We, we didn't want to, you know, I'm used to buying, you know, Bernardo, Noritake China, Villaroy and Box, Spiegel glassware, Riddell, all kind of stuff, super high-end. And I'm like, I can make the same food and make it taste great. And a plate that cost me $5. Sure. I can make this same food taste amazing with flatware that cost me $4 for a dozen. Like, I want it to be about the food, the service, and the experience. But you know that it's relatable to the concept and the dwelling that you're in. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to break the bank. If it doesn't work, then so I'm out, you know, $70,000, or $80,000, or whatever. So be it. I wanted to be able to create something that's based on the things I just mentioned. And, and that's what we're able to do. Like I, we didn't spend a lot of money. We focused in on analyzing the dwelling that we found as a turnkey restaurant. And we were able to say, Oh, we can make this work. And then I sketch things out. I organized the layout on this. I created this whole Excel spreadsheet kind of thing of the layout of the space I didn't have to go get an architect and tell me that he's gonna charge me all this money for putting the chair over here, over here. I was able to do that right. on a computer myself. And uh, and I made it work. Underground kitchen already was a really good, had a really good bones to it. So it didn't cost us uh, that much upfront. Social cost a little bit more because it was just one big building. There was a hood, you already had a grease trap, you already had restrooms, but it was an empty space. Mm-hmm. That one took me about three or four hours Sit in the space and figure out where I want it to be. Like so, that's
1: I, quick, three or four hours. Yeah,
2: underground kitchen took me probably an hour because I already saw that what the front was going to look like. I already saw the back because tables were already in there. I was able okay. to make it kind of work. But when you just an empty space, it's like, all right, well, how many tables can I fit in here? I had to measure and and get into like the mindset of the consumer. What if you walk in with twelve of your girlfriends? You guys all plan to get together, but nobody planning where they really wanted to go eat. And you're mm-hmm. just going to walk in and go into a space. And I'm like, how do I put this, these tables together to make it work for these ladies to be comfortable? Or these guys that all of a sudden got off the plane they heard about the restaurant and they're just driving straight there to have a dining experience. So I, I put myself through those situations of being able to get the beverages out in a timely manner. Time you get sat as you're looking at your menu? How fast can we get the food out? I thought about all those things and that's how the restaurant came about. But it was really all my years of experience prior to that get me to the point to be able to actually figure that out.
1: Which goes back down to just having that foundation Mm -hmm. being passionate about your subject matter. The longer you're in it, then you start to understand every angle of it. One question I like to ask a lot is, do you have a branding superpower? And if you do, what would you call it? Like, what is your thing? Like you're good at this part of branding.
2: I like to think that I'm good at being consistent, posting consistently. I think I'm I'm a consistent poster, if that makes any sense. I think that I look at times throughout the day and I try to put myself in the position of the person that might be at work. They shouldn't be on their phone. They might have IG on their computer or is on their cell phone and they know that, okay, it's getting ready to be lunchtime. It's like, it's like 10 o'clock And they're like, all right, I'm going to lunch at 12. Let me see what my friends are doing. Where are we going to go out to eat? What's the situation? And then all of a sudden, they're on IG to see what's going on. And then they follow me and they say, oh, man. And all of a sudden, they see, like, girl, you see that Kenny just posted... That smoked fried chicken and waffles with okay. strawberry compote. Da da da. Now I gotta have it. We're going. We're gonna go and have that for lunch. We're gonna have some some lemonade and we're gonna go and crush that. We're gonna split us out so we don't feel too too bad about it. But we're gonna go and have that for lunch. And then all of a sudden you see them tagging and sharing uh, the post. I think that I'm good at that. I think it's I'm consistent. My wife would probably say that I'm I'm a compulsive like social media person, but I let her know all the time. I said this is. The audience that is here is who comes to the restaurant. And mm-hmm. if I don't post, if I don't stay engaged, if I'm not conscious about what I'm posting, when I'm posting it, and it doesn't take a lot of time. Right. Literally, I could say that I probably review other people's posts more than I post. Okay. Because I'm curious to see other chefs in the business, not necessarily their food, More so their strategy. And I'm wondering who's doing it. Is it the chef or is it someone they're hired to do it? Because I do all my own. Nobody manages my social media. I do it all. And I have an idea. I think
1: that's great. And I have
2: a team with me that creates my... Lauren Heffron is her maiden name. She's my graphic artist. And she's very hardcore. She's very intense. She's very good. And she helps keep the brand on track. And won't allow... Me to just like slip and just say no, I'll just make this happen. Whatever she's like, she makes sure that everything all ties together based on the original philosophy, from rebranding of the spices to ChefKenGilbert.com to UndergroundKitchen.co to GilbertSocial.co. Mm-hmm. How everything all ties together, and she makes sure that I everything that gets posted is done. That I have the right information. I have the right look. Wow. I would probably say that it's important to have a good team, but I think I'm very persistent and very consistent with the way that I do it.
1: Yeah. And I would say I've gathered a couple things from this interview and from our previous conversations, just because I've been a fan for so long, but you know, your point of view, you know, every aspect of your industry and your business which is really helpful because if you have the knowledge base, then you can duplicate it. You can have somebody else do it for you. You seem like you know your audience really well. The consistency, of course, is key. You bring some really solid points to the table. I'm so glad we've had you today. Thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you. What great advice Chef Kenny brings to the table. It's so cool to hear someone like him just share about their experience and life in the kitchen, but also how it relates to their lives outside the kitchen and to all of ours in the topic of creating a brand and just creating a life that we love to live. Really cool. I have to say this. I'm really similar to Chef Kenny other than the fact that I can't cook at all. And uh, I'm a bit younger than him. I feel like he's a much more experienced and wise version of myself. So it was really cool to be able to kind of hear him talk and just see myself in Chef Kenny. I gained a lot from this. So it was really cool to be able to hear him just share all of his wisdom. If you're interested in learning more about Chef Kenny, you can go to chefkennygilbert.com. That's chefkennygilbert.com. Dot com. He also shared some extra wisdom and some exclusive content, not food, unfortunately, but just some more wisdom with the Creating a Brand community. So if you're a member, be looking out for that because it's really great additional material for us to digest and just be able to discuss within the community. And I want to say special thanks to our co-hosts amy west that was a great interview really excited that you're able to to conduct this one and land a guest like chef kenny gilbert that was amazing thank you so much amy and chef kenny thank you again for being on the show for show notes from today's episode please visit com. as always thank you for listening and i'll be back with you all next week